baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. The Bay Area is facing yet another surge of COVID-19 infections. And while the Omicron variant is turning out to be milder than those that have come before, it's spreading so quickly and so widely that virtually no aspect of daily life has been left untouched. I haven't ever seen a week like this. We're anticipating this probably to be our largest surge to date. Welcome to KCBS In Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on the program, we're going to check in with some of the people who've been marshalling the response to this surge and its wide-ranging impacts. So we'll be hearing from a hospital administrator, a school district leader, and a bit later on in the program, we'll also hear from a county health officer who's been making the case that the changing shape of pandemic risk demands new thinking in our pandemic response policies that were necessary to prevent transmission back in those earlier days before we had widespread access to vaccine when the strain was more virulent may not be functional for us at this point. First up, checking in on how hospitals are weathering this COVID storm. Of course, the surge in COVID infections has also brought a surge in COVID patients showing up at the ER. But compared to what we've seen before, most of those patients have had relatively mild illness. And yet, plenty of challenges remain. To learn more, I checked in with Dr. Luke Day, who is the chief medical officer at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, where he oversees the hospital's COVID surge planning and execution. Dr. Luke Day, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you very much for having me. So for those of us who have been staying away from hospitals this week, uh, tell us a little bit about what it's been like confronting this wave of Omicron infections. Yeah, what we are seeing is um, unprecedented levels of both patients uh, coming into the hospital who are testing positive for COVID, uh, but also we're seeing large numbers, of, large numbers of our staff also testing positive for COVID as well. Um, this is very much unlike some of the other surges we've seen over the last two years. Um, and so we're anticipating this probably to be our largest surge to date. And so this is a surge that is perhaps bigger than uh, many that we've seen before, but uh, also different in a lot of ways. How does it change things that the we have this vaccine and we also have a variant that seems to be less dangerous, uh, causing less severe disease in most cases than before? The ICU beds, are those not filling up as quickly? The, 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 the really high-risk patients, are they not showing up in such high numbers? How, how is that changing the sorts of care that you're needing to offer? 
I think one of the things we're seeing in this particular surge that's been different than all of the other surges is one, uh, patients who are coming in who have severe disease are ending up in the ICU um, or potentially even succumbing to the disease itself are those who are unvaccinated. Mm. So we're definitely seeing, you know, severe disease and mortality rates in those who are unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. For those who are vaccinated or who have a booster, we're seeing less severe disease. And in fact, what we're also seeing is that since we're testing everyone coming into the hospital, that we're incidentally detecting COVID in patients who may be presenting with other things. So cardiac, pulmonary, renal diseases, they're fully vaccinated, but they also may have caught COVID, but just aren't displaying any symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been, I think, a, a big question. We see those big headline numbers of so many people ending up in the hospital, but it is a question of, are they in that hospital because of COVID or are they in that hospital and just incidentally also happen to have COVID because it is so widespread at this point. Uh, just to reintroduce you again real quick, we're speaking once again to Dr. Luke Day, Chief Medical Officer at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. Let's get back to the staffing question. You mentioned that we are seeing a lot more medical workers uh, getting knocked out of work because of uh, COVID infections. How much of a strain is that putting on your workforce at this point? One, even before this recent Omicron variant, and we saw this both in the Bay Area and across the country, um, healthcare systems were already strained um, with staffing. Um, Mm. Just a shortage of nurses and other ancillary staff just across the country um, for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, fatigue, burnout, Uh, people wanting to pursue other opportunities. So we already had a little bit of a staffing shortage just going into this recent surge. And then what we've just seen recently is, you know, probably anywhere, you know, from 15 to 25% of healthcare systems are having staff that are either testing positive or are out because of exposures or um, a risk of exposure. And so this is much different than we had seen previously. Um, We anticipated this actually with one of our first surges when COVID first hit us, that we thought we'd see a lot of our staff out. Luckily, we never saw it, but unfortunately, we're starting to see it now. And so how close is that putting your hospital to the danger zone? So we had prepared for this. Um, You know, as part of our surge plan, we had built in several factors, um, one of which was having staffing shortages as high as 20%. And so we've implemented several things to really try to create more capacity to add staff really to our critical services. So we're ramping down many of our elective procedures and surgeries. We're scaling back in many of our outpatient clinics, both primary and specialty care, really to help free up staff in both these areas to come help support some of our other critical services like the emergency department, our surgical floors, our medicine floors, and our critical care units. So just a lot of uh, logistical changes that need to be made to accommodate this uh, surge in patients and the uh, difficulties in staffing. I I mean, just on an emotional level, though, I I know that for those of us who are not healthcare workers, this is uh, really frustrating to be going through this again. And I just imagine that that feeling has to be magnified many, many times over for people that have been on the front lines of this for so long. Uh, How are you feeling? How are your colleagues feeling at this moment? I just uh, imagine it must be a a very difficult time. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things, you know, that I've seen throughout this entire pandemic and continue to see day in and day out is just really the true resiliency of our staff. Um, You know, this is the fifth surge that they have gone through, uh, in addition to really trying to sort of reopen uh, in many respects to help providing care for all of our patients. Um, You know, and despite, uh, you know, I think a lot of the hard work, uh, the long hours, 
um, many of the challenges that have come up, they have really just done phenomenal work, um, really coming together, being collaborative, being innovative, and really just trying to help and do the best thing for all of our patients out there. Um, you know, this is the reason why I went into healthcare it was really for this sort of mission-driven nature that our healthcare workers have of really being compassionate, but really always wanting to do and trying to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there is there any sense of disappointment on I'm, when when you saw that an, uh, Omicron was on its way for the Bay Area? Did did you feel any kind of a pit in your stomach, or what was your feeling when you saw that? Yeah, I was. Um, you know, I will say I will was very hopeful that after we had the vaccines, you know, that got implemented a year ago, that actually, you know, we might see small little tiny surges, you know, from then on out. But then we had Delta during the summer, which was a surprise. And so since Delta, I have not really been surprised by anything that has come mm-hmm. up. Uh, you yeah. know, and that's really, I think, what Delta taught us. I will say, you know, just before Christmas, you know, several of my friends from New York City started texting me saying that they were all turning positive. Uh, from COVID-19, just at these astronomical numbers. And I, I knew it was coming to San Francisco because this was very much the story that happened last time. You know, it started in New York and then it just quickly made its way across the country. And that's exactly what we saw um, and are seeing now, unfortunately. So there's just this feeling that at this point, you got to expect the unexpected from COVID-19. Correct. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, and I keep saying this with every surge, that this will be the last surge. I think one of the interesting things, and I think many people are debating about this right now, is that with this new variant, unlike the other ones, it's more transmissible, but less severe disease, and especially less severe disease if you're vaccinated and vaccinated with the booster. And so my hope is, is that maybe with future iterations of it, that we'll see you know, it being less severe, and it just might go back to being a common cold, and we just need our vaccinations to protect us in the years to come. All right. Well, uh, that's certainly something that uh, we can all hope for. And we do thank you very much uh, for all the work that you and your colleagues are doing. Uh, We have been speaking so far to Dr. Luke Day. He's chief medical officer at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. Dr. Luke Day, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're trying to get a handle on how the record high case counts of the Omicron surge are impacting the Bay Area. We just heard about staffing challenges in local hospitals, but it's also been a bumpy time for Bay Area schools, most of which just reopened following winter break and had to struggle through their first week back with a staggeringly high number of teacher absences. In fact, so many teachers have been calling in that many districts had to call up administrative staff to the classrooms just to keep them open. That includes the San Francisco Unified School District, where even the superintendent had to sub in. That's Vincent Matthews. And to learn more about what this very long first week back has looked like, I checked in with him Friday afternoon. Vincent Matthews, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So uh, I've been reading about your hectic week in the paper over the last few days. It does sound uh, like you have been up to uh, a lot of hard works, uh, balancing teaching in the classroom while uh, at the same time managing a district that has, like many other districts around the Bay Area, has uh, seen a, a lot of COVID-positive students and teachers. Tell me a little bit about what that's been like. Well, First, first and foremost, I, yes, it's been a hectic week, but I don't think it's been any more hectic than any of the other people around the Bay Area, teachers, 
counselors, nurses. It's been really hectic. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, one of the things, what happened was as we returned to school on Monday, we had a number of uh, people who were out sick, a much larger number. Uh, usually we average about 150 teachers a daily out. And uh, we started on Monday with about 400, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all averaging 400. And that meant uh, we uh, needed to uh, help get help into the classroom. Uh, that's the most important place in our system is the classroom because that's where teaching and learning takes place. So uh, I, along with uh, many, many people in central office, uh, went out to man classrooms. Our director of HR, our uh, deputy super of instruction, uh, all went out and were uh, assisting uh, in classrooms, teaching classrooms to make sure that our students had adults uh, in front of them uh, for the learning day. Yeah. And obviously, districts throughout the Bay Area have been facing similar staffing challenges uh, because of the Omicron surge. Just out of curiosity, have you ever confronted uh, a week like this before where so many people had to jump in uh, and uh, provide that additional uh, teaching support? Is this uh, how does this week stand out? Yeah, this is very rare. Uh, We've had times where we've had large numbers, larger than usual, but we haven't had to deploy uh, this many people for uh, this amount of time. Uh, and our goal is to continue. We know that the most important place for our students is in the classroom. Uh, we saw the impacts of isolation uh, that the isolation had uh, when we were in, in distance learning. So we're doing everything we can to avoid uh, that return to distance learning. And we want to make sure that our students are in the place uh, where we know we do best, and that's in the classroom. So no. So the answer to your question is no, haven't, haven't ever seen a week like this. And just on a personal note, how was it uh, for you being back in the classroom? Uh, enjoy uh, being in front of students again? Absolutely. Uh, so I was at Everett Middle School. It was a sixth grade science class. And um, it's, 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 you know, your first love. <laughs> so I started as a teacher here in San Francisco at George Washington and Carver Elementary. Uh, and it was just a joy to be back. Uh, I was there. I was at Carver for five years teaching. And um, and like I said, I just it's one of the things when you see the spark of students who didn't uh, know something or understand something and and suddenly you see the spark in their eyes that they get it. Um, that's a that's something that's in, for me anyway, personally, it's indescribable. So I love being back in the classroom. Yeah. One of those uh, small silver, silver linings over the course of this week, I'm sure. Uh, speaking once again to San Francisco Unified School District Superintendent Vincent Matthews, uh, actually kind of sticking on uh, that classroom point. How are the children feeling? This is a stressful enough time for adults thinking about the challenges and dangers of Omicron. How are the kids internalizing all this? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's it's a range of emotions. You see some, well, the one thing we know is that they're very persistent. Uh, they bounce back. Uh, so, but it's a range of emotions. Some are, and they, you know, I, t- I had the chance to talk to many of them. Uh, and, you know, this is, you know, think about what they're, the childhood that they're going through these last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but it's a range of emotions. Some are scared. Some are just excited. Some are so happy to be back in the classroom. Uh, but it, you, you, you see the wide range of emotions. And, I've actually gotten emails from some basically that are just basically um, employing me to do everything I can to keep them safe. And that's what we're attempting to do uh, with all of the testing, with uh, masks that we uh, recently have uh, sent out to all of our schools. We're doing everything we can to keep uh, our adults as well as our students as safe as possible. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what goes into that effort. Uh, Obviously, 
uh, earlier this week, there were a number of teachers that signaled uh, a little bit of dismay at the district's efforts so far. They staged a sick out, uh, what they called a sick out on Thursday, calling for more masks, higher quality masks, as well as more testing uh, and additional sick days for teachers that uh, test positive for COVID-19. What's your response to those concerns from teachers and also just the broader response to the need for safety this week? So I will say this, that those masks that they asked for, the N95 masks, are at currently at schools. They were delivered uh, yesterday and today. So they are currently there and we're ordering more. So we will have a stockpile of those masks. Um, we also, we have, we've already had a, uh, if you're in our system, whether you're a student or a staff member, you can uh, test weekly. Uh, and now we are beefing up our antigen testing. Those tests arrived at sites uh, yesterday and today. So those will be going home over the next few days with our students. Uh, we also have had um, live antigen testing at our sites this week, and we will have antigen testing this weekend, uh, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. So we are doing everything we can, and we will continue to have conversations with our uh, labor partners to make sure that we are uh, doing everything we can in our power uh, to keep them as safe as possible. We know that if you don't feel safe, it's gonna be very difficult to teach just like it is for our students. If you don't feel safe, it's very difficult to learn. So we're doing everything in our power and we're gonna continue to have conversations with our labor partners to make sure that we are uh, reaching those goals together. Yeah, obviously so many moving parts to this uh, effort. We were also hearing about the the governor's effort to send out those rapid tests. Some of that got held up by the stormy weather. So just a really complicated effort to keep everybody safe this week and uh, got to be grateful for everything that has come together the way that it has. Just a few more minutes left in the conversation, but uh, Superintendent Matthews, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how much longer the district is prepared to uh, deal with this and and what the expectation is in the weeks ahead. Obviously, having this number of administrators running classrooms uh, can't go on forever. So what should we expect in the weeks ahead? What should parents expect in the weeks ahead? How are we going to weather this storm? So we are going to continue to uh, assist. We have about 175 subs on our uh, list, and they are employed every day. Uh, we need more. So First, let me take this opportunity to put a call out. If you can sub and are willing to sub, we would love to have you join our works to, uh, to keep students educated. Um, and then to um, bolster or to beef up the rest of the spots where we need uh, subs, we will continue to send out uh, central office uh, administrators as well as our teachers on special assignment. It's just not the administrators, but it's teachers on special assignments. It's classified staff members all going out. This is you know, an all hands on deck effort. One of the things I said at the, actually a year ago at the, when we were coming back into distance learning, I said, the only way we're gonna get through this is if we take care of each other. And so it's important that we here at Central aren't here when we know our classrooms are in need. So we go out and we do what is necessary. I actually, I taught uh, t- Tuesday and Wednesday at Everett uh, and then uh, returned to Central office and spent the, basically the next five or six hours completing my superintendent duties. Um, but it's, it's critical and necessary. To answer directly your question of how much longer, we're gonna do it as long as it, it takes. Um, the predictions are, I guess, that the peak will be in a, about a week, a week and a half, and then it will start to go down. 
We're hoping that that, that is um, accurate um, because a lot of people are putting in a lot of extra hours to make this happen. Uh, but we, we know that this is necessary and we will continue to do it as long as it takes. Well, as you say, a monumental effort that has gone on this past week to keep our students in the classroom and safe. And we thank you for your contribution to it. Uh, we have been speaking once again to San Francisco Unified School District Superintendent Vincent Matthews. Vincent Matthews, thanks again. Thank you so much. And I just once again want to thank all of our teachers, all of our classified workers at our sites who are, are doing it and making it happen each and every day. Thank you so much. Absolutely. is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Today, we're discussing the many disruptions that the Omicron surge is causing here in the Bay Area. Last up on the program, we're going to broaden the focus a bit and consider how we as a region should respond to those disruptions as the risk calculus of the COVID pandemic begins to shift. For that, we're going to invite on now Dr. Matt Willis. He's Marin County's public health officer and certainly someone who's had to think through that math quite a bit over the past two years. Now to hear him tell it, the equation is changing more quickly than many realize. Dr. Matt Willis, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Good to be with you. So I know that coming into this surge, you have been concerned about the possibility that with so many people infected and put out of work, this could put a serious strain on the workforce, critical uh, critical services, including medical, but, you know, many other services as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it is that you saw coming and what alarmed you so much. Well, we knew from, from data from South Africa and from Northern Europe and even New York, you know, before it hit us here that there was you know, due to the very high contagious nature of the Omicron variant, um, we were going to see unprecedented case counts. And in fact, that's what occurred. Our policies with regards to isolation and quarantine are, are based on our history, the past two years, and based on the variants that we were facing at that time, completely necessary, life-saving policies. But they were relying on um, essentially isolating cases is a fundamental policy, is to make sure that people who are infected are isolated from others. And we saw that with the anticipated case counts, to isolate so many individuals across all of our community, including our essential sectors, would place a stress on the workforce. And so we anticipated that. And I was as concerned about the implications of this surge for our infrastructure um, and our societal functioning as I was about um, you know, incidents of severe illness and death. Now, of course, this has been a controversial point. The CDC's new guidelines for how long folks that uh, come back COVID positive should 
isolate. Uh, they're saying five days. Uh, other folks are saying it should be five days plus a rapid test. Uh, the way that this debate has been framed is, on the one hand, are we putting the interests of uh, businesses and the economy first, or are we putting the interest of the individual's uh, health and safety first, broader society's uh, health and safety? It seems like what you're hinting at here right now is that we are, because of the realities of Omicron, it's uh, less severe because of uh, vaccination, widespread vaccination. It may be time to reassess the level of risk in this conversation that we have been taking for granted for so long. That's right. I think um, this is a good time to step back and think about, you know, when we talk about public health, what are we, what do we mean? And if we think about public health as being more holistic sense of, of well-being, across the community, that we're talking about physical, mental, social, economic health as elements of public health, that, that requires that we examine our policies that were essentially designed to prevent transmission. Um, we are now seeing that the Omicron variant does reliably, really is less, is less um, severe in the illness. You know, Just looking at our numbers here in Marin County, we have record case counts, 425 cases um, earlier this week. That's our highest number of cases ever. Um, the previous high case count uh, was back in January of 2020 was 172. So we're more than three times higher than any pre-Omicron era. But we only have 12 people in the hospital now with COVID-19. At that high case count in early January, we had 39 individuals. So more than four times the number of hospitalizations um, with, with case counts that were about four times lower. So this is a sign to us that um, there was policies that were necessary to prevent transmission back in those earlier days before we had widespread access to vaccine when the virulent, when the strain was more virulent may not be functional for us at this point. And we are seeing corresponding shifts in those policies themselves. And that's, that's the CDC's shifting from 10 days to five days. We completely support that approach and we'll continue to need to revise our policies the more we learn about Omicron. Speaking once again to Dr. Matt Willis, public health officer from Marin County. Uh, now, just to give some air to the folks out there that would be on the other side of this, uh, there are a lot of folks that are, are worried that we would be letting our guard down if we loosened our standards at this moment when Omicron is surging in the midst of a surge and folks that feel that, um, you know, expediency uh, keeping things open uh, should not be an excuse for um, re relaxing our guard against something that has killed so many people. What do you say to people that are skeptical and, and say that, you know, overall, our cautious approach has served us well over this, these past nearly two years? Well, I would say that it's absolutely true that our cautious approach has been necessary and, and functional for us. Um, it has saved lives. When we you know, we were one of the first counties to, to lock down in early March of 2020, along with other Bay Area counties. That's been demonstrated to have been a life-saving strategy for us as a region. Um, but it's also important, I think we've learned over the course of this pandemic, that, you know, it changes quickly. Um, the virus really is determining the, the, the status, right? We are not in control. We are adapting to the virus. And the Omicron virus is a different animal. It is much more contagious. Right now, we estimate that about 4% of our residents in Marin County are infected with Omicron. So that's a sign to us that we are, right now, that would mean about 12,000 residents in Marin 
total are infected with that percent positivity across the population. Yet we only have 12 people in the hospital. So for those that are concerned about whether or not we might be too lax in our policies, really pointing to that understanding of what is the severity of Omicron is critical. And I think we're getting more and more data that is offering us reassurance that by and large, it is not leading to the same levels of severe illness and death. Um, and in fact, the policies that are designed to control spread may themselves actually represent a greater threat. We're seeing that in other parts of the state where because ambulance crews are expected to be, you know, drivers and others on the ambulance crews are expected to be in quarantine or isolation because they've been exposed, they're actually now having staffing shortages that are lengthening times for 911 responses for people having heart attacks, strokes, et cetera. So there is a public health consequence to being too strict as well in these policies. And that's the, that's the standard we're trying to balance here. And it's, it's challenging and it's going to take, you know, we're going to need to be looking at the data very carefully over the next week, two weeks to really determine what is the severity of Omicron? What is it doing in our hospitals? To, uh, to further guide our policies and to be as relaxed as we can be so that we can keep people on the front lines. Yeah, of course, there's also those that have been making similar points all along and, and would say that we should have made this reorientation much sooner. Um, so certainly a debate that uh, will be ongoing and has a lot of complexity to it. But I, I suppose maybe a place to end this conversation, from your point of view, where are we headed next uh, as we make it through this surge, as we make it through these difficult next few weeks? Uh, how should this reorient our approach to the pandemic in uh, the months ahead as, you know, uh, presumably we, we will uh, one day face another one of these surges down uh, again in the future? Uh, what lessons should we be taking on uh, between here and there? Well, I think this is another example of, of what we've applied throughout this pandemic was the need to be humble and to be um, flexible and to be adaptive to what the virus is presenting us. Um, right now, we are dealing with um, only really three weeks under our belt in the Bay Area with Omicron, so there's still a lot we're learning. Every day that passes that we're not seeing regionally, people surging into the hospitals with Omicron infection, I think offers us another measure of reassurance that it's less severe. Um, We've also demonstrated that we as a community are resilient and adaptive, um, and we're gonna to continue to need to, to apply those principles. I think we're looking at, a, looking at a surge, if we look at what's happening elsewhere, that would have a rapid rise, you know, a plateau, and then a relatively rapid decline, hopefully by the end of this month. Um, so we're looking at a, a sunnier February, if the models are, are in any way accurate. I think we're seeing that, it's, it's obviously rapidly rising. And once this, once this wave is, has moved through our community, it will leave us better protected immunologically because it will have created infections right now. Again, um, you know, one in 25 marine residents has the Omicron by and large mild infections. That's going to make, make a difference for us in terms of our collective immunity um, as we face the potential next variant. So as each of these waves occur, we are actually better off in terms of weathering the next one. Right. Uh, always good to end out on a hopeful note in these conversations. Uh, we have been speaking once again to Dr. Matt Willis. He is the public health officer for Marin County. Dr. Matt Willis, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week.
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.